Good morning. morning. You know, I address the children right now. Some of you children maybe have not experienced what is about to take place. I grew up in a church, however, where on every Easter morning, the pastor would say, he is risen, and then everybody would say with exuberance, he is risen indeed. Oh, not yet. (laughs) I see you're excited, and that is good. But now that you understand how this works, he is risen. He is risen indeed. It is our joy to gather together as the people of the Lord to worship him in celebration of the fact that Christ was raised and lives and ever makes intercession for us. He is worthy of our honor, of our love. And if you are a visitor here with us this morning, we especially welcome you. We're happy to have you here. And I would simply draw your attention to the fact that this service, similar to the Good Friday service, will proceed largely unannounced. Most of our services, we say stand up and sit down, and often we even make mistakes in that, as on Good Friday. And that's fine. It's not a TV show. But to provide unity and the beauty that comes with that, take note of the asterisks in your bulletin that indicate when to stand or, if they're not there, when to sit. And likewise, there's a number of call and response passages. But we will begin by standing to receive God's call to worship. Our God calls us from Psalm 118, a famous psalm of the resurrection. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Father in heaven, we come into your presence grateful that you have provided the cornerstone of our salvation and of your temple, the church, that stone which was rejected on Good Friday, Jesus Christ. You have chosen, and upon him is the foundation of all of our hopes. We thank you this morning for the opportunity to celebrate together what you have done. We ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would work in all of your people a renewed sense of delight, of expectation, of endurance. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The God who calls us, greets us, receive his greeting by faith. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from our risen, our ascended Savior, Jesus Christ the righteous, in the fellowship and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not there, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples.
scriptures. He was buried, and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in its own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ.
We find in the epistles the words that the wages of sin, or what you rightly have earned through our lack of love for God and love for our neighbor, is death. But the free gift of God in Jesus Christ is salvation. Instead of hiding our sins from the Lord, we should go before him and confess them freely. Let's do that now. Our Heavenly Father, we confess before you that even in the span of time from worshiping on Friday evening to this morning, we have at all times fallen short of your glorious standard. In some instances, by high-handed, willful sin, we knew well what we were doing. And then at every moment, we fall short of loving you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. You are infinite, and every good thing we have ever tasted or seen or heard or held, every expectation we have of good in the future, all of these things come from you. And we are ungrateful. But you are exceedingly gracious. And you've proven it in providing your infinite divine Son, very God of very God, and yet through the miracle of the Incarnation, very man of very man. We thank you for his whole life, showing us how we ought to live and teaching us that our life is through his life in us. Please renew us again this day to walk in your path in the way everlasting. Lead us, for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear these comforting words. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Please join with me as we start our congregational prayer with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. 
Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've brought us through another week. And we ask that you would, since none of us know what tomorrow brings, that you would help each of us to never take each day for granted. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would intercede with our inadequate words and requests and that you would make them pleasing and uh, acceptable to our God. Father, we think of all the things that you are, we are not. You created everything from nothing. You sustain it. We think of your power and your mercy and your holiness. These are things that are pretty hard for us to even comprehend. Father, your patience you have shown out throughout the generations from Adam and Eve, the many generations of the Israelites, and through us today. Uh, You are patient with us beyond what we deserve. Our patient Lord tends to last and go by minute or the hour, depending on what lane of traffic or what line we're in, or our kids are too noisy, or co-workers or friends, we disagree with what we should do, and we lose our patience. Father, your love is unconditional. We tend to put conditions on our love. As Jesus told us that we are to love you above all else. So, Father, also your forgiveness. You have been forgiving sinners for all the time. Your patience and forgiveness never ends. Where we tend to forgive very sparingly. Where when you do it, Father, you don't, not that you forget, but you blot those out as if they never existed. And when we forgive, we tend not to forget. So we ask that you would, as we give praise to you for all these things, and we also confess our sins and for those same things. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us, uh, as Jesus told us, to love our neighbor as ourself, to love our enemies. For if we only love those that love you, Uh, What good is that for even the non-believers do the same? So we ask that you would work in our hearts every day to change them and soften them so that we do show more love to all those around us. Father, two days ago, we commemorated Jesus' death on the cross. And Father, times that we have doubts, that we, we don't doubt you, we don't doubt his work, but we may have doubts about ourselves at some point or salvation but father help us as pastor told us friday night to keep our eyes set on the cross of what jesus did for uh, what covered all of our sins he took it all upon himself and shed his blood for us and we remember the words that take that to heart that he said to the thief as of this day you will be with me in paradise so too let us lean on that as the hope And today we celebrate the resurrection. And so you weren't just left in the grave, and we won't be either, Father, that we have that promise that we will be there as well. Father, we pray for all those that may be visiting here, uh, first time, short time, and Father, especially winter visitors that maybe are still here and haven't headed back home yet. We're grateful that they have come back for many years, that they have been part of our church family. So we ask that you'd give them traveling mercy as they head home over the next few weeks. Lord, we also pray for all those that participate, that you've given gifts of music and singing and instruments and 
uh, directing, and we just thank you for the blessing that that is every week, but especially here on special days like Christmas and Easter. We're so grateful for your blessing them with that talent. Lord, we pray that you would be with Reverend Spots as he brings your words to us, uh, that you would open our hearts and apply them to us, that we would use them in the week ahead, that you'd keep his voice strong as uh, and if he's having pain, you would take that away while he gives your words to us. Lord, tomorrow he starts a, a three-month sabbatical. <clears throat> so we ask that you would be with him, uh, give him the rest and time that he needs to do further study and reading as he prepares to come back renewed and re-energized with sermons uh, that would be good for us to hear. We pray that you would also renew and refresh him, give him time, more time to be with Ashley and with the kids, give them uh, the time that they need as well. Father, we are getting ready to take an offering for the Women's Hope Center. We pray you would bless the gifts that we give and use it as uh, they continue to do work with women and uh, teenagers that are hurting physically, but they also share the gospel with them as well. So, Lord, we just thank you for all the things you do each and every day, and especially for this Easter day when we remember all that you've done. Uh, and Lord, we not our will, but that your will be done, and we ask all of these things in our Savior Jesus' name. Amen. Deacons would please come forward for the offering.
of the week. The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. primary text this morning is going to be from the first epistle of Peter. So I encourage you to turn there, 1 Peter chapter 1. Now this section of Peter's epistle is an exclamation of praise that he is giving out for what he is thankful for. 
But it is certainly meant by the apostle to inflame you with praise as well. He does not want to be simply alone thanking the Lord. And so it is the will of God in this passage that you would rejoice. And it is my hope as a pastor to lead you in that rejoicing. It's been said, and I'm sure many of you have heard before, two of the hardest things that pastors face are to get sinners to grieve their sin and to get believers to rejoice in their salvation. We know in theory that we ought to, but sometimes we feel far from the actual fact of it. But give attention to the word beginning at verse 3 and see what Peter rejoices over. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time before his word. Father in heaven, we thank you for preserving our lives up to this day and preserving faith in our spirits. We do intercede on behalf of any who have not yet come to know you in truth who perhaps only know you in a formal outward way or even there resist and don't regard themselves as all, at all as Christians. We pray that you would bring these to rejoice with us. We acknowledge the power is entirely yours and yet you hear our prayers. We ask that you would illumine the hearts of your church so that we would both take great pleasure in seeing again what our inheritance is in Christ through the resurrection, and then in turn go forth magnifying you wherever we go. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you think about the world as a whole, it's certainly fair to say that most people do not entertain expectations of a great earthly inheritance. Most people don't. And that was probably the case for Peter as well. Peter was a humble fisherman. He doesn't seem to have particular wealth. He's not recognized as even having a basic education by those who are in power. He left the family business to follow Jesus. He probably doesn't have much in the way of worldly possessions. And that may be your lot. But then there are some who do have a reasonable expectation of inheriting substantial sums of wealth. But then is not history full of examples of people who thought they were going to get an inheritance, having that stripped away before they can enjoy it, whether that be through squandering or stealing of that inheritance before they receive it by another family member, or maybe it's simply disease or even death. And so this person who thought that they were going to have so much doesn't have it. The hope of an earthly inheritance at best is weak. But then Peter here tells you to consider, to dwell upon, to behold the birthright of every believer in Jesus Christ. 
Through the resurrection, we have something that is far more certain, something of far greater value. And it's in this that we rejoice in the mercy of the Lord that he grants us a share in that. And so this morning, my goal, frankly, is not in all probability to teach many or perhaps any of you something new. It is through the Holy Spirit, by the scripture, to see you, together with myself, renewed in the sense of gratitude and actual joy, not this faux joy that Christians sometimes imagine, which is anything but happy. Actual joy as you consider what is given to you freely in Jesus Christ. Now, as we consider the inheritance that we have as believers, we're going to do so under four main headings. And I'll announce each of them as we come to them. But basically, we're going to see the source of our inheritance, its certainty, its quality, and its contents. And again, I'll announce each of them as we come to them, beginning with the source of the believer's inheritance. How do you come to have a right to the things that are described in Peter's passage? And we can be very clear and just rule some things out here. The reason for God to give you anything in this life or after your death has nothing to do with what you are by nature or what you have done. This is so contrary to the impulse that we have. According to nature and according to sin, as one person said, we are hardwired for law. And the expectation that if I do this, I should get that, and I've done some good. But when you hold up the good you've done against the light of God's whole counsel, it all falls, falls short. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 says, We were by nature children of wrath, even as others. That was your inheritance. If God did not step in, if he did not intervene in your life, if he has not yet, that is your future. Children of wrath. When the will is read out, all it will say is, wages, hell. Romans 3.23 again affirms this. The wages of sin is death. And there it's not just talking about biological cessation of the organism. But death is understood throughout the Bible as the breaking down of the order God intended for human beings. The breaking down of the spiritual life as well as the physical. Rather, Peter ascribes all of our right to an inheritance to the free choice of God to grant new birth. The new birth is not just a neat idea to try to describe something natural. It is something supernatural and it is something real without which no one has any part in the kingdom of God. See what it says in verse 3. To whom does Peter ascribe the blessing? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. He caused us, not we did something and brought ourselves to birth through faith, Regeneration, in point of logic, precedes faith. Regeneration, I'm going to say that again. Regeneration precedes faith. In point of time, they may be at the exact same moment. But why does a person come to faith in Christ? It was not by their own nature. By nature, it all seems foolish to us. But God did a work in us. Archibald Alexander, one of the great high-watermark theologians at Princeton in their heyday had this to say about it. 
Here I cannot but remark that among all the preposterous notions which a new and crude theology has poured forth so profusely in our day, there is none more absurd than that a dead sinner can beget new life in himself. The very idea of a man's becoming his own father in the spiritual regeneration is an unreasonable idea as such a supposition in relation to our own first birth. That's just common sense. The analogy Jesus used in John 3 was one that is based upon natural birth, and you had nothing to do with that. He's a good teacher, and so the analogy holds. And therefore, Alexander says, away with all such soul-destroying, God-dishonoring sentiments. John 1.13 says, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John 3.8, born of the Spirit. Ephesians 2.1, and you, he regenerated, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And so the source of even being in this family, being able to call the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ your Father, is because he chose in grace to do something in you you could not do and without which you would perish. All the glory goes to him. And so if you share in the new birth, rejoice. He has had mercy upon you. But then, of course, we have the question of whether or not that place in his family could be lost. Because that does occur in earthly life. The late actress Joan Crawford was able to amass millions of dollars and then, when her will was read out, and she had four children, it was found to include these words. It is my intention to make no provision herein for my son Christopher or my daughter Christina for reasons which are well known to them. In an earthly family, sometimes children are cut out and disowned. And maybe you have wondered, as a believer in Jesus Christ, or as one who has considered becoming a believer, does that happen? And I will be candid, there are Christians who say that happens, and away with it. Of course the Bible does teach that some who profess to be Christian were not. And they call themselves children of God, and Jesus says to such, like the Pharisees, you are children of the devil. And the marks to anyone who understood a reasonable description from Scripture should have known. Can we lose this inheritance? Here is the second idea I want to hold before you, the certainty of your coming to this inheritance. And look with me at verse 3 and then verse 5. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so in some way, Christ's resurrection is connected to the fact that this is a hope that is alive. And then verse 5 who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What the believer receives is not the potential for salvation. They are being guarded for salvation. We have not merely inherited a second opportunity to do things better and then save ourselves. 
But there is certainty promised here, and it's rooted in the resurrection. In other words, God could no more send the newly alive believer into death than he could send Christ back into the tomb. Consider Jesus' words. And Jesus is the one who raises himself. He says, I have power. I raise myself up again. I take my life back. Christ is the same Christ who said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he was comforting people about that. Considering the death of Lazarus, and Jesus is making it known, he's not gone if I will that he come back. Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly, not a little bit, overflowing. I am the vine, you are the branches. He doesn't wither, and if he's united with you, then his spirit is innervating you, is working within you, and he doesn't cease. He says, I am guarding you. I ever live to make intercession for you. Christ, by his resurrected presence, assures us that he is always the one guarding us, together with the Father and the Spirit. Therefore, who could stand against us? And Peter underscores this certainty a little bit later if you look down at verse 18. You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers... That was our original inheritance. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God. And there again, faith being a gift of the Lord, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Let me, brother, sister, weak believer, exhort you. Your faith and your hope are only faith and only hope if they are not in yourself, but in God. That morning when you wake up weeping, thinking of the failures of the previous day, And you consider, can I even be a Christian and walk as a Christian? You have only two options. You can give up all trust in the gospel and then you know your end. Or you can say, Lord, it will have to be you. You will have to save me. You will have to preserve me. And the Lord tells us through the word that because Christ was raised, he will not give us up as his children. And therefore rejoice in that. But now, for a moment, consider this. All right, your place in the family is secure, but is it possible that your inheritance itself can be diminished? You're going to inherit something, but can it be drastically reduced? That same Joan Crawford, for her other two children, reduced their inheritance to $75,000 from whatever the millions were. Some she cut out entirely, others were reduced. Jesus tells us that we can store up treasures in heaven, but does he ever take them back? Is this how we think about the Lord's inheritance? And here we come to the third point we need to consider for a moment, the character of our inheritance. What is its character? How could we describe what God is storing up for his children? Our text provides us with three clues. Notice with me, verse 4. It is an inheritance that is imperishable, 
undefiled, and unfading. Just with those three, we can already rule out, we can already eliminate so much, indeed almost everything, that people in the world desire to receive in inheritances. What is meant when it says imperishable? It can never die. It can never cease to be. Whatever it is that we have been given. Imagine the daughter, the heiress of a great wine producer. And as she's coming up in years, she is anticipating, one day all of this is going to be mine. And then land rights change and they lose access to water. And suddenly all this land that they had that they perceived as a fortune vanishes in value. It perishes with the vines that were there as the drought comes. By contrast, whatever the Lord has apportioned for us does not perish. And then Peter says it is undefiled. And the word defiled here has to do with the pollution of sin. Whatever the Lord has for us is undefiled. Imagine a young man who is eagerly looking forward to inheriting all of his father's wealth. And his father is a financier. And the wealth is big. But then, shortly before this young man is to come of age, it becomes known that his father acquired all of this through fraud. And the government comes and takes it all away. What is held before us is never stained with sin. God never finds fault in the things that he is storing up for you. What a relief that is to the believer. For the person in the world, there is sweetness and stolen bread, as Proverbs says. But for the believer, it is a relief to imagine the day will come when there will simply not be sin. And the believer desires just as much, if not more, to be delivered from the presence and the practice of sin as from all of the guilt of sin. That's one of the best ways to see that you have indeed come to know the Lord. That heaven to you is a place where you are free of this indwelling sin. And then he says it is unfading, kept in heaven for you. Imagine a young woman whose mother was a great collector of expensive art. But then this young woman has to always wonder, even if she inherits it, whether or not any of it might become damaged through some disaster or stolen by someone. Imagine she had a certain painting in a summer house And one of the servants forgot to draw the shades and it was left in the light from the window all summer long. She comes home and the whole thing is faded and bleached. Millions of dollars gone. Eliminated just like that. By contrast, our inheritance is unfading and it cannot be stolen. It is kept in heaven for you. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21, our treasures are in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And so we rejoice in the character, even if you don't know what it is. And you children, you may hardly have an understanding of what it is. I remember being maybe 10 years old and reading for the first time the book of Revelation. And I read a passage that said something about certain believers would become like pillars in the temple of God, and it terrified me because I took it literally. I thought, I'd, like, that's their blessing? Is they're going to be frozen in place in the temple? 
Even if you don't understand what it is God has for you, yet already just the fact that it is good and does not perish is wonderful to think of. But we can describe the content, and that brings us to our fourth and our final main division here. What is the content of your inheritance? And this could be a whole series. And by a series, I mean the series that will actually exist forever in eternity, where we'll never run out of things to praise the Lord that we have inherited through Christ and by his resurrection. I mean, think of that. We all, probably all of us, have an itch of acquisition. And it comes at different frequencies for different people and somewhat based on your means and the things you watch, the people you spend time with. But the sense of enoughness is so rarely lasting. But in glory, we will always say enough and yet there will always be more. What a joy to be able to enjoy the thing before you without already looking beyond it to something else. What does the Lord give to us? In one sense, everything. If you are a co-heir with Jesus Christ and he inherits it all, then all is yours. But I would draw your attention to three major categories. Again, none of these are new to you. But may your joy be renewed. The first is to reside forever in the new creation. The new creation is not some phantasm. It's not some ethereal world. It's this world renewed and brought into a state of higher glory. This same Peter talks about how all that is now in this age shall be, as it were, burned up and brought to perfection. And the Jesus who was raised from the dead was not raised with a body so that he could just be like a ghost going around. He seems to have extraordinary heightened abilities in the resurrection. I am in the group of people who reads the text as meaning not that the door changed or vanished, but that Christ was free, though having a body, to appear where he willed. There are differences of opinion on that. Though the door was locked, yet he was among them. And it seems only notable to say, and if that's how it works, not that Jesus suddenly acquired lock-picking skills and wanted to surprise them in that way. And so it's hard to say what the new creation will be like, except that this same Jesus in John 20 ate fish after the resurrection. And I don't think that was his last meal. We look forward to glories that we cannot even begin to imagine. My dad was always fond of saying that one of the things he hoped to do was to have a plot of land and to grow different kinds of peppers and spend thousands of years developing his salsa. (laughs) And that he would then, because there would be plenty of time, have small groups of Christians over to try his salsa for the rest of eternity. (laughs) I don't know if that's how it works, but I do believe it's even better than that. Moreover, we will have reunion with believers of all ages past. It would be a hell to just be in the new creation and be utterly alone. We were made for companionship and the sweetest companionship I believe that verse 4 aptly describes saints in glory. Think of those who have gone ahead of us as imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, who are being kept in heaven. It is natural to want to live a long life in this world. And some of you younger people, 
really imagine that that will stay a, a full desire forever. And while you have your health, that may be the case. But for the believer, it's also natural that as you become more familiar with saints of bygone eras, through biography, through learning the history of the church, and as you bid farewell to your brothers and sisters in this life, the Lord prepares you. He loosens your grip on this age so that when it comes time to pass, you are ready to embrace the life which is ahead and the people that you long to be with. For the believer, death is an entrance into life, not an end of all good things. And so we rejoice as we look forward to seeing all of God's people. And then above all, what is the crown jewel of the Christian's inheritance? It is to be with Christ himself. This Christ who created you. This Christ who has known you better than anyone can ever know you. Though you live for all the ages and know these people forever, they will never know you in the way that God does or with the fullness. And yet knowing you, he loves you. A heaven without Christ would be a hell to any genuine believer. As David said in Psalm 73, verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but you, O Lord? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. In comparison to all of the earthly wealth David had, that was his desire. And that's because not that he was a better believer, but he had greater sight of who the Lord is. And so what do we make of all of this this morning? This Easter Sunday, this resurrection day. In the first place, I wish to address any here who have not set their hope fully in the resurrected Christ. You may feel that your life spreading before you is long, In contrast to eternity, it is so short. And it is too short to neglect the weightiest question in all of history. Completely banish from your mind all of the ridiculous claims that Christianity is just one religion among others, similar to them all, saying essentially the same message. It's not. That is a lie. No other system of belief in all of history presents a God who becomes man and bears the burden for us. There isn't one, and the devil hates the thought. No other system of belief in all of history makes the basis of salvation purely grace. Every other faith says, do, do, do. Christ can say, done! It is finished! This is not the faith that you have heard about and heard lies about to justify sin. Genuine Christianity, whatever you make of some of its practitioners, all of whom are fallen, must be judged by Jesus Christ. And the willingness of his disciples, virtually to a man, to die as if for something that they had not seen, and then in the subsequent age of no one public figure to be able to disprove what was said, the spread of Christianity from dozens to hundreds of thousands in a period of less than a century are all connected to the powers and the claims of Christ and the word. If you have not yet believed upon Christ, what is your hope? What what is your escape plan from your mortality? But if you have, why 
do you labor under sorrow? A certain portion of sorrow, of course, is to be understood. But why is the sky black to you? See in the resurrection, the party in the clouds. See in this our promise. We'll close with these words from verse 6. Peter's consolation. Look with me. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. We give you thanks, our Father, for having qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We thank you for the certainty of our future resurrection, grounded in the resurrection of our Savior. We thank you that his was not like the resurrection of Lazarus, temporary, but his is permanent, as 1 Corinthians declares, raised immortal. Our Father, we ask that you would sustain us through the difficulties, the ups and the downs of this Christian pilgrimage that you would even increase our faith, that we would bellow out into the world our confidence in a God who cannot be overcome. We ask, Lord, that should we or others this very day be asked to give their life in your name, that we would do so joyfully, knowing that our blood will water the church and that you will raise up others who will take courage And that in time we shall all be raised to return with Christ in victory. Give us eyes for these things, Lord. Make the world fade before us. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll respond with the first four stanzas of 360. And then we will sing the fifth stanza following the blessing. Let's rise to sing.
May the Lord bless your Sabbath day. May he bring us again safely into his presence. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.